0: All right, so we're in the third week of our study of Luke, and we're studying Luke. We're looking at the gospel through the lens of Luke. Luke was a doctor. Luke was one of the traveling companions of the Apostle Paul. Luke had a very, very unique perspective and a unique opportunity to observe Jesus' ministry and to hear from eyewitnesses who saw Jesus' ministry. And so we're looking at the gospel through the lens of Luke all the way through to, till Easter. And uh, verse 17, we're just gonna jump in today because we got a lot to cover today. Verse 17 through 19 kind of gives us the context of what we're actually gonna talk about, which is a sermon that Jesus preaches, a very famous sermon that Jesus preaches. This is the context. It says, Jesus went down with them, he was on the mountain, went down with them, talking about the disciples, stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch Jesus, just to touch Jesus because the power was coming, the power of the Holy Spirit was coming from him and healing them all. So there's an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit that's going on here. And we've been talking about kind of the outpouring of God's spirit and revival and all of that. And it takes lots of different shapes and lots of different forms and manifests itself in different ways. And so when God pours out his spirit, it doesn't always manifest itself in exactly the same way. In this particular case, in this expression of it, people are getting healed left and right. They are getting healed of their diseases. People are having evil spirits. They're getting those evil spirits Uh, Overplaced, replaced by the Spirit of God. And in addition to that, you see the power of, of the Spirit in Jesus preaching. Like people are coming from all around just to hear Jesus preach. The anointing of God is on him. Now, there are two versions. We're looking at this sermon today that's in Luke. But there are two versions of this sermon. Uh, The longer version is is found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And it's typically called the Sermon on the Mount. And that's usually how we refer to it. This one is the shorter version, and it's found in Luke 6. And we often refer to it as the Sermon on the Plain. Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. But both of them were preached right around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, In Matthew's account, it says that Jesus went up. On to the mountainside to teach. And uh, we just took a group uh, last October to Israel. We toured around Israel. One of the places that we went to the northern end of the Sea of Galilee to some of the places where Jesus taught and spent most of his ministry. And this is actually Donna's cousin, my wife's cousin, Eric uh, Lubert, who uh, it was our first day there and we actually made our way to the mountain that is being referred to in this text. And uh, Eric kind of did the teaching that day talking about this particular text. And you can see in the background is the Sea of Galilee. And so it's kind of this region, this area, this topography where that Sermon on the Mount took place. And then uh, either the next day or a couple of days later, uh, Luke's account says that Jesus went down from the mountain and stood on a level place. And here's Dan Occi, who is in our church, uh, who was teaching that day, who was the teacher that day, also went on this uh, trip with us to Israel. And he's teaching down on level ground at the foot of the mountain. Same mountain, same area, same region. You can see behind Dan, you can see the blue, you can see the Sea of Galilee, same area. But the one is on the on the mountain and the other one is down from the mountain and Matthew says that Jesus preached this sermon on the mountain and Luke says that Jesus preached this sermon that we're going to look at down from the mountain on the plain on flat ground so you go well okay Rod which which is it like was the sermon preached on the mountain or was the sermon preached on uh at, at the foot of the mountain What was it the longer version that we read in Matthew, or was it the shorter version that we read in Luke? Uh, And as is so often the case, the answer is yes. Is that it's probably both of those, because Jesus probably preached this sermon more than once in different settings to different crowds. Uh, All communicators do that. Uh, Any communicator is gonna take the same message sometimes and gonna say the same thing, but in different settings, uh, a different audience, they're gonna tweak it in ways that kind of fits that audience. I've preached the same message in different places, different settings, different audiences, and there's always something different about the message, not because the message changed or the truth of the message changes, but because you're understanding the room, you're understanding where you are, you're understanding who is there, and that's what's probably happening here is that Jesus, with one crowd, he preaches this on the mountain so, top. And with another crowd, he preaches this down by the sea. Different crowd, different setting. And so that's probably what's happening here. Now, one of the themes that always comes through in Jesus' preaching is this theme of the kingdom. You just see it over and over and over again. He's always talking very radical, revolutionary. Revolutionary. Because he's always talking about establishing a new government, a new administration, a new kingdom. And once again, he starts this sermon by mentioning the kingdom. It's just like it made its way into almost all of his teaching. And this this is how this begins. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom kingdom. Of God, this this kingdom that Jesus was constantly talking about. Now, when Jesus talks about this new kingdom, he's not talking about just tweaking or fixing the old kingdom. He's talking about a new kingdom that replaces the old kingdom. Most people, when uh, they talk about like what's wrong in the world, not that you have ever had any of those conversations, but. You know, when people talk about what's wrong in the world, what needs to be fixed, what needs to be dealt with, all that, most people, when they talk about what's wrong with the world, the most radical thing that they can think of is making changes in this old kingdom. Like, here's how this, I had one of these conversations this week. Uh, Here's how this administration needs to change. Here's how this government needs to change. Uh, We need to do this. 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 We argue about this stuff. All the time, ad nauseum, we argue about this stuff. The news media makes billions of dollars just allowing us to watch people argue about this stuff. Like, this is what we argue about all the time. Like, how do we make these tweaks to the old kingdom? How do we make these tweaks to the, the administration? How do we make these tweaks to the government that will somehow make everything better? But Jesus is talking about something way more revolutionary than that. Way more radical than that. He's talking about establishing a brand new kingdom, a kingdom that supersedes all of the old kingdoms of the world, Uh, a new administration that never gets voted out, Uh, a new kingdom that lasts forever, a new kingdom that has a totally different set of values than the old kingdom. Now, the question is like, okay, well, what are the values? What are the values of the old kingdom? And what are the values of the new kingdom? And that's what this sermon is all about. That's what the Sermon on the Mount was all about. That's what the Sermon on the Plain is all about. That's what Matthew's account of it was all about. That's what Luke's account of it was all about. It's all about this question of like, what are the differing value systems and the differing values of these two kingdoms, of the old kingdom and the new kingdom? And so uh, in the text, It starts with Jesus talking about the values of the new kingdom, and then he talks about the values of the old kingdom. But I want to start today, actually, with talking about the values of the old kingdom because I think it helps us to understand the values of the new kingdom because the values of the new kingdom are so radical that if we don't understand the values of the old kingdom, it's like we can't even put that in context. We can't get our mind around us around that. Now, so let's start with the values of the old kingdom. And they are all things, when you read them, they are all things that seem very, very normal. Very normal. They're all the things that the world aspires to. They're all the things that the world pursues. They're all the things that the world is obsessed with and goes after. But when Jesus talks about those values, he uses the word woe. Now I'm not going to go into a long definition of what the word woe means but like when Jesus starts a sentence with the word woe you never want to be a part of the rest of that sentence. Like you don't want to be the thing he's defining or the person he's defining or the value he's defining when he starts it by saying woe. And he starts this whole section in this sermon with the woes, with the woes. And this this is what he says, and this list may surprise you. He says, but woe to you who are rich, for you already have received comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Not the true prophets, but the false prophets. In other words, the values of the old kingdom, the kingdom that the values that everyone sees as normal, basically, in this world is power, which is what the rich have. They have power. It's comfort, which is what being well fed is all about comfort. It's it's laughing. The kind of laughing that goes with gloating because you win or your your side wins or your your cause wins or whatever it is that kind of the gloating that goes with that and recognition, the kind that you get when like everyone is speaking really good about you. Like those are the values of the old kingdom. And Jesus contrasts the values of the old kingdom, uh, which the kingdom that everyone sees as normal, the values that culture sees as very, very normal with the values of this new kingdom Um, The values of which are just weird from culture's perspective, like totally and completely weird because the values are all things that we do. The values of the new kingdom are all the things that we do everything we can possibly do to, to, to miss out on, to escape from. To avoid in some way. He talks about the people with these values as blessed. So who are the people who Jesus calls blessed? Again, the list may surprise you. Looking at the disciples, he says, Blessed are you blessed, deep, deeply, deeply comforted, like deeply cared for, deeply loved. Like blessed are you who are poor, For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now. For you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. For you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you. When they exclude you. When they insult you. When they reject your name as evil. Because of the son of man. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the fathers treated the prophets. Not the false prophets. The real prophets, the true prophets. In other words, the values of this kingdom are the exact opposite of the values of the old kingdom. The values of the new kingdom that Jesus is talking about, spends so much of his ministry talking about, are just the opposite of the values of the old kingdom. Instead of valuing wealth and power, it values weakness. Instead of valuing comfort, It values discomfort. Instead of valuing laughter because you're side one, it values weeping. Instead of valuing recognition and popularity, it values exclusion and rejection. And Jesus says, (laughs) and this is what's so weird about the message. Jesus says, that's the way to be happy. Like that's the way to be blessed. That's the way to be deeply satisfied. That's what blessed means. Deeply satisfied. That's the way to be deeply satisfied. Jesus takes the values of the old kingdom and he just turns them, literally turns them upside down. Now, here's the thing, and this is so important to understand. Jesus is not saying that wealth and power and comfort and recognition and celebration are bad. He is saying that citizens of this upside-down kingdom are not controlled by those things. That they don't have to have them. And from the world's perspective, that's totally weird. To not be controlled by those things. To not have to have those things. Uh, the president of Anderson University, uh, my alma mater, as I. Let's talk about the, the uh, school that I graduated from. The president is John Pistol. I've talked about John before. John Pistol is uh, a great friend. Uh, he worshipped here at Fairfax when he was in the D.C. area. Um, when he was in the D.C. area, he had some really significant jobs. He was the head of the TSA, which is like a huge, I can't imagine the responsibility of being the head of the TSA. He was the deputy director of the FBI Uh, He just held some huge responsibilities. He was offered some other jobs that I can't even tell you about because they never went public. But he was just like a huge public figure that had like really, really important jobs. Now, everyone knows that some of you are kind of in this field. You know how it works in the government. You know that you put in your time with the government and then something usually happens like after that. So everybody knows that when you get done with jobs like this, that John Pistol had that the next thing you do is you go into the private sector. You have this window and the next thing you do is you go into the private sector. And you leverage your government experience and you make unbelievable money. Like you make really really lots of money. So when John took this role at this small Christian liberal arts school, this Small Christian college in Anderson, Indiana. Like in the middle of nowhere. Like all of his colleagues, the people that he hung out with, the people that knew the trajectory that he was on, the people that were on similar trajectories that he was on, they were baffled by that decision. They could not figure it out. It just seemed absolutely weird to them. But John was being... Driven by a different set of values. He was being driven by a different kingdom. He was being driven by this new kingdom that Jesus is talking about. In our culture, when people don't buy the biggest house that they can afford so that they can be generous, so that they can give more of their money away, so that they can advance the kingdom in in some other ways, it's just weird Like real estate agents are baffled by it. They can't can't understand it. I've talked to folks who have made some of those decisions and it's like the real estate agent is, but, but you're qualified for this size of house. Like you can afford this size of house and if you could afford it, why would you not get it? Why would you buy a smaller house than you can afford? When people... For instance, when people don't take the highest paying job that they're qualified for so they can advance the kingdom in their family or advance the kingdom in the community or advance their, the kingdom in the world, like people are baffled by it. It just seems weird. Citizens of this upside down kingdom are just not controlled. By power or wealth or comfort or recognition. It doesn't mean they don't have that. Citizens of this upside down kingdom. It doesn't mean they don't have power or wealth or comfort or recognition. It just means that they are not controlled by those things. It means that they, they don't need them to feel fulfilled. To feel like they have accomplished their purpose in life. Their identity does not come from those things. Those are not the things that drive them. In a very real sense, they can take them or leave them. They they don't live in fear, in constant fear of losing them because they are willing to lay them down. But Jesus says, if you're controlled by power, If you're controlled by wealth, if you're controlled by comfort, if you're controlled by the need for recognition, if your life is organized around the pursuit of power, if your life is organized around the pursuit of wealth, if your life is organized around the pursuit of success, if your life is organized around the pursuit of acclaim or recognition, then you really can't see beyond the now. That's the word that he uses a lot in this sermon, the now. That you really can't see beyond the now. He says the powerful and the rich will be comforted now, but eventually they will be discomforted by the toll that it took to make those things the ultimate purpose and goal in their life. They will be fed now, but eventually they will hunger for something more that they missed in their pursuit of all of that. They will laugh now, but eventually they will weep over what success has cost them. If it has been the center of their life, they will have recognition now, but eventually that will fade. But Jesus says the citizens of this new kingdom have perspective, that's maybe the best word. They have perspective on life. They have perspective on the world. They can see beyond the now. And what they see is that those who are not controlled by power and wealth will end up, Jesus says, inheriting everything. That they will inherit the whole kingdom, Jesus says. Those whose highest priority is not the pursuit of comfort will be deeply satisfied. Those who are willing to embrace their own pain and enter into the pain of others who are going through really difficult times and weep with them, they are the ones who would be filled with joy. They are the ones who would be filled with laughter. And those who are not preoccupied with their own acclaim, not preoccupied with their own recognition, will be the ones who hear the applause of heaven. As I said, blessed means deeply satisfied. And in the old kingdom, there is this, in the old kingdom, the kingdom of this world, there is this connectedness between blessedness and the circumstances that we are going through. Like blessedness is having a good job. So blessedness and a good job go together. Blessedness and having a lot of resources go together. Blessedness and having great health go together. Like blessedness in the old kingdom, blessedness is connected to our circumstances. So when our circumstances are good, we are blessed. When our circumstances are not good, we are not blessed. But in this new Upside down, weird kingdom that Jesus is talking about. Blessedness, being deeply satisfied, is not dependent on our circumstances. When Jesus says, blessed are those who weep, he is saying that you can go through something that's really tough, or you can walk through something really tough with someone else that causes you to mourn, that causes you to cry, that causes you to weep and yet still be blessed. And yet still be deeply satisfied. Why is that? Because being a citizen of this new kingdom. Allows you to see beyond the now. Of your current circumstances. And see yourself through heaven's eyes. See yourself through God's eyes. Look again at verse 23. Rejoice in that day. And the the day that he's talking about is not. The day when like Jesus comes back and, and everything gets made right. He's talking about verse 22. And when you read verse 22, which we read earlier, that's where he's talking about when people insult you, when people reject you, when people exclude you. He says, that's the day he's talking about. He's talking about the day that's described in verse 22. He says, rejoice in that day. The day that you were excluded, the day that you were rejected, the day you were on the outside looking in, and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, great will be your reward in heaven. This is not pie in the sky, by and by. This is not about, hey, it'll be okay, because Jesus is coming back, and, and all of that is true. This is not great will be your reward in heaven. He says, great is Present tense, now, great, is your reward in heaven. He's not talking about something out there in the future. He's talking about the right now. He's saying that when you see yourself through heaven's eyes, that when you see yourself through God's eyes, it sets you free. It sets you free To be deeply satisfied even when your circumstances are not that great. It it sets you free when you see yourself through heaven's eyes. Comfort is nice. Good things are nice. Resources are nice. Health is nice. Recognition is nice. Power is nice. When we have those things, we are grateful for them, we give thanks for them. We are so thankful that we have them. But in this upside down kingdom, you aren't dependent on those things. In this upside down kingdom, you're not afraid of weeping or sacrificing or losing your power or not being in control or going without or being in uncomfortable situations. It can be scary. You can, be, you can deal with a lot of doubt when those things are going on. You may have questions. You may wonder why you are going through that. You may wonder, where is God in the midst of this? You may wonder, why why us and not someone else? Why me and not someone else? Why this time and not some other time? Like all of those questions, all of those doubts, super scary, can cause us to be fearful, all of that, but it will not destroy you if you are able to see yourself through heaven's eyes. If you're able to see yourself the way that God sees you. So how does God see you? He sees you through the cross. That's how he sees you. He sees you through the cross. That's how he sees me. He sees me through the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus became poor so that you could become rich. On the cross, Jesus was emptied of his power so that you could be filled with power. On the cross, Jesus gave up his comfort so that you could be comforted. On the cross, Jesus wept so that you could laugh. On the cross, Jesus was rejected Ostracized, put on the outside so that you could be included. And when you say yes to Jesus, when you truly surrender yourself to Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you surrender your stuff to Jesus, when you surrender whatever it is to Jesus that needs to be surrendered. To Jesus, you become, Jesus says, you become a citizen of this upside down kingdom. This weird kingdom, this weird path to happiness kingdom. This weird path to deep joy kingdom. This weird path to deeply satisfied kingdom. That when You surrender, surrender, surrender to him. That's when you become a part of this kingdom. God, we just pause for a moment and just kind of sit in the reality of what all of that means. and. We can talk about the kingdom a lot, and, and even when we try to explain it, it's still hard for us to get our minds around because it's so countercultural. It's so not normal. It's so not the way that the world functions. It's so not what is valued. It's so not what we get accolades for. It's just so different. It's so weird. And yet, Lord, ultimately, It's what allows us to be blessed, to be deeply satisfied, to not become slaves to the now, to not become slaves to the moment, to have perspective on our lives, to have perspective on this world, to have perspective on where things are and where things are going, Lord, to have perspective on all of that. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for what you have done for us on the cross that allows us to become citizens of this upside-down, weird, doesn't-make-sense-sometimes kingdom. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.